Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. you to listen carefully to the scripture today from Deuteronomy 26, 12 through 19. The words in this scripture need no other introduction but that you pay attention to what God is telling us to do. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of the tithe, giving it to the Levites, the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows, so they may eat their fill within your town. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from the house, and I have given it to the Levites, the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows, in accordance with your entire commandment, that you commanded me. I have neither transgressed nor forgotten any of your commandments. I have not eaten of it while in mourning. I have not removed any of it while I was unclean. And I have not offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God, doing just as you commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. This very day, the Lord your God is commanding you to observe these statutes and ordinances. So observe them diligently with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have obtained the Lord's agreement to be your God and for you to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, and to obey him. Today the Lord has obtained your agreement to be his treasured people as he promised you and to keep his commandments, for him to set you high above all nations 
that he has made and in praise and in fame and in honor and for you to be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. The word of the Lord. Have you heard about the fire movement? F-I-R-E, the fire movement. It has nothing to do with actual fires. It stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Anybody heard of the fire movement? It's, 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 a, it's a movement that supposedly derives from a book written in 1992 by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez called Your Money or Your Life. And the book was intended to encourage people to value their time and to live small in order to save the planet. But instead, it's been adopted by a group of people, many of them millennials, who've uh, decided that a primary goal of their life is to become financially independent and retire early, as early as possible. And for some, this is even uh, as early as their late 30s, or 40, so I, you know, I've already missed fire. <laughs> too late, <laughs> too late. So Robin, Vicki Robin says she's, she's surprised that her book has become kind of a Bible to the fire movement. And they, the, the, she, she says that she thinks they seem to be less motivated by, by her original altruistic and aspirational goals that she and, and Dominguez had in mind when they co-authored the book. And, and more by um, it, the, getting away from the stress of having a job or getting out from under a mortgage that's hanging overhead or just, the, just leaving behind the sense of financial insecurity that's rampant in today's economy. There's been a fair amount of coverage of fire uh, in the media lately. The New York Times did a long piece on it earlier this month, and Time Magazine had a piece earlier in the spring. And I've become really curious about fire because I do think that frugality and a careful, conscious uh, use of money is important. But I wondered what fire does to a person's spirit of generosity, or if people who are pursuing fire, fire also tithe or engage in other forms of deep philanthropy. So I came across a story in trying to, in trying to see how these things intersected, or if they did, of a person who through extreme frugality and investing had achieved fire in midlife. He was like in, in his mid-30s. And once he fired, as they call it, he then began traveling all over the world. And then he got tired of traveling. So then he began an inner search for who he really was and what makes life worth living. First, he searched for that meaning by getting involved in the new homesteading movement, a lifestyle that's described as opting out and seeking self-sufficiency. Living off the grid often is included in the new homesteading movement. But that wasn't wholly satisfying to him either. So then, he says, he began to try to help others gain financial independence. But then he confesses he came to the realization that he and his team were, were kind of holding themselves above other people and feeling superior to the people who hadn't achieved fire yet. 
this individual, this man, then realized that what he was engaged in was not, in his words, a soul-sized life. He had a life uh, that was not the life that he thought he was going to get when he achieved fire. He realized that what he wanted was a life with risk and grit and joy and real purpose that not only wanted for, some, for others something he found valuable, but engaged with people in their own struggles and together sought a world of economic sufficiency for all. He realized the larger problems of the larger community needed to be his North Star. And he realized that his financial independence would always be incomplete if others were suffering in food insecurity and housing insecurity. And as he leaned into those problems, he says, my life became happier more satisfying to myself and inspiring to others and more of what George Bernard Shaw calls the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself and others as a mighty one. I find this story remarkable because this individual not only achieved his goal, but because he was able to achieve it early in life, he was able to see what was valuable in his goal and what was not. His was not a lifelong pursuit where the end of his life coincided with the realization that maybe he wasn't chasing the right thing after all, but a revelation that led him into a form of radical generosity and hope. This man came to the realization that money in itself is morally neutral. But what we do with money has ultimate moral significance. This man finally understood that his sense of well-being rested not so much in being financially independent, but in being part of something that had a higher purpose of abundance for everyone. And in using his own resources to achieve that goal, he finally achieved the well-being he sought. For the next few weeks, we're looking at the call in Scripture to give of our first fruits and to rest in the assurance of God for our sufficiency our scripture for today from Deuteronomy follows the scripture we looked at last week and refers to a tithe in the third year. Biblical scholars are divided on whether this refers to an additional tithe or is the same tithe referred to in the law given to Moses. A tithe is understood to be a tenth offered in confidence and in gratitude for God's abundant provision. God's provision has been demonstrated throughout history from the well of Zamzam that Hagar found in the desert when she was near death to the manna provided to the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness to the experience of Jesus turning five loaves and two fish into enough to feed 5,000. There is ample evidence in scripture and history to the generous provision of God, both directly and indirectly, 
through the giving and sharing of the community of God. We heard a testimony from Diane Rush Woods to that effect this morning. And yet when we experience a week like this one, when challenges and bad news are so significant, it can be hard to trust that abundance and goodness and assurance of provision. Bad news and challenges can make us want to turn inward, to protect what we have in order to keep an untrustworthy and insecure world at bay. It's been a very difficult week with our country struggling to be courageous and to understand how to exhibit true compassion and justice. I want to thank our Stephen ministry leader, Pat Bruce Larigo, and retired clergy person, Charlie Larigo, for generously and carefully holding space in the chapel this morning to lift all of this in prayer and solidarity. In times like these, it can be hard to believe in the better nature of humankind, and we can wonder about the capacity for human decency, with the capacity for generosity seeming like a bridge too far. But what we have experienced to be true is that it is our generous love for each other that we need to call on when we are most deeply challenged. Our generous love for each other is the path back to wholeness and health. A few years ago, the Fetzer Institute did a study that investigated generosity of spirit and the rewards and challenges of giving and receiving. They found that generosity is an impulse that invokes deep and vital healing in the human family. The researchers said, with every story we heard, we came to realize that sharing our gifts with each other, whether they be gifts of love, time, attention, skills, or money, releases a powerful force for positive change in both the giver and the receiver. Generosity, the researchers said, is what propels us through crisis. What we call forth from within us when pressed against disaster or despair. It can transform danger into opportunity and tragedy into hope. It is our finest quality, our shining nature as human beings, along with our courage and our wisdom, our hope and our faith, our generosity is simply the best of who we are. If basic human generosity is not fostered, a lack of generosity will quickly and deeply infect the workplace, the family, and the community. Fear, mistrust, isolation, and conflict grow quickly without the essential enzyme of generosity, their report said. And when we operate out of fear, we make bad choices. Generosity fosters generosity. It makes us human and is both a basic human desire and a skill that is learned and developed through observation and practice. My parents divorced when I was seven 
And my sister and my mom and I moved out of the, the church house, the parsonage where we lived with my dad and where he stayed living and where we would go back and forth from. Um, and we moved into an inexpensive apartment. My mom became a public school teacher and then she left school to work for a new nonprofit that, that shortly downsized. And then she worked for another nonprofit, it was the Boys and Girls Club, and then she went back to teaching when I was in high school. There were times when I remember slipping the rent check for our apartment under the, the door of the management office on the fifth day of the month, the day that the, the rent was about to be late and, uh, and get a late fee assessed. But the longer my mom taught, the more of a buffer she had. And so when I was in high school, I remember one, one time we were at the, in the parking lot of the local drugstore, which was called Osco. I don't know if Osco exists anymore, but it's kind of like CVS or a Rite Aid. And I had decided to stay in the car and listen to music. And I saw my mom come out of the drugstore and I saw her go up to a, a station wagon and give something to a man and, and engage in a conversation. And then she came back to the car, our car, and I said, what were you doing? And she told me that she had been praying for a while for God to help her uh, to know how best to use her money, which to me was remarkable because I never really felt like we had any money. But she was asking God to, to, to help her know how to direct her money. And she said she came out of the drugstore and she felt moved to go to this station wagon. And it turns out this station wagon was part of a caravan of people from Minnesota taking some supplies, but mostly themselves, to Central America to respond to the violence there. And they had just run out of gas and they were sitting in this parking lot praying and, and wondering what they should do next. They felt that she was an answer to prayer. And, and I know that her $5 didn't get them very far down the road. But the incident impressed me. And um, in the way that my mom sought guidance and listened and found a clear need for what she had to give. And I know it was a bolstering to those who were sitting in the parking lot wondering how God would respond to their prayers. Her generosity inspired me to be more generous and turned a desire that I had to be helpful into a deeper understanding of exactly what it would take to be helpful. In the Fetzer study, there was a story of a woman from Sierra Leone, and she said, Sunday dinners were special at my house. My mom would spend hours making delicious food for dinner and the mouth-watering aroma would fill the house. In between games, my siblings and I would anxiously check the kitchen to see if the dinner was ready. And when the dinner was done, my mom filled several baskets of food for various families in the neighborhood. Of course, we wanted to eat first and then deliver the baskets, she said. But our mom would gently insist that we first deliver the food and when we got back, we could all sit down and eat dinner. She pointed out that if we waited to deliver the food until after we had dinner, the food we delivered would be cold. 
In a simple way, she taught us that giving is not just for when it's convenient. I believe that we are all born with an impulse for doing good, for wanting to be generous. But for that impulse to blossom, we must engage in generosity, practicing and fostering this basic human desire and impulse until it becomes a way of life. Our deepest challenges call for our deepest commitments. As we are confronted by the whirlwind of the world's brokenness, may we support each other. May we inspire each other to give when it is not convenient, to pray for opportunities to be generous and cultivate generosity in spirit and culture until it pervades all things, becomes a way of life, and transforms the world. Amen.